Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Hello, I'm James Riley. I'm the editorial director at innovationoz.com. Welcome to this episode of The Commercial Disco. I'm talking today to Nick Gonios. He's the founder of Circulist, a serial entrepreneur and now investor in lots of things and a builder of responsible products. Nick, welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to connect again after being quite a while, James. So, so Nick, we've known each other for quite some time. Over your career, you've done a bunch of different things from you know being the chief executive of a ASX-listed company to Big Four consultant to commercialization advisor all of these things. Today, we're talking about the circular economy. We all have our view of what the circular economy is, and I think it ranges from the quite simple to the very complicated. When I talk to you, what are we talking about in relation to the circular economy? So when you talk to me about the circular economy, the best reference point that I use is Ella MacArthur's book. Let me just take one step back. Well, I think we just need to all recognize that the way that we produce stuff, consume stuff, and dispose of stuff is a problem in our world. And uh, we seem to have built some amazing systems globally and even at a local level that just seems to make all that stuff invisible to us, right? We pay our rates every every year or every quarter. And uh, and for some reason, we get these bins every week and uh, they, they sort of we dump stuff in them and they sort of disappear and they go somewhere and we get to continue to live our lives and you know, we throw stuff out or we seem to use them and then we might trade them in for something else and, and never really consider what actually happens ever to those sort of materials and what, uh, what we have sort of disposed of in, in terms of resources and value, so to speak. So the circular economy, so what we have known is in speaking in that sense, in that sort of language, we're pretty much talking about what we call the linear economy in the, in the current industrialized economy, the complex economy around the way our industries operate. And uh, it unfortunately has been heavily driven by price and uh, not recognizing the negative impacts that we have created in our world in terms of waste and resource uh, depletion, environmental impact, right? So moving forward, sort of how do we solve for that is very much what the circular economy is trying to do is sort of be the opposite. It's sort of a new frontier around uh, eliminating all those negative aspects to how we uh, live and operate and do business and, and be civil servants and so forth, and try and eliminate all those negative things out of the equation. So the Leonard MacArthur Foundation is probably the, the forefront sort of authority when it comes to circular economy and, and amazing work by Dame Ellen MacArthur. And it's defined three principles around uh, the circular economy, which I strongly believe in, which are, you know, we must eliminate waste and pollution, which circulate products and materials at their highest value, which is the important part, at their highest value. And we should always try and mimic nature and regenerate nature by decoupling economic activity from the consumption of these finite resources. So, so that definition very much shapes the theoretical framework that is circular economy. Okay, well, let me put this to you. In Australia, it's certainly not a new concept. I mean, we, you know, we all put our cardboard in the yellow bin, I guess. I wanted to ask you specifically about the maturity of the conversation here, because... You've taken in your explanation 
that definition to a different level to what we discuss here in Australia. I just wonder what's your commentary on that? So my views on it is that uh, there are two versions of the circular economy. And we in Australia and, and in most mature markets, I would say in most countries and cities around the world, seem to gravitate towards what I call version one circular economy right now. So without being disrespectful to our economic leaders and our, and our, our business leaders and, and so forth, I've created this new term called green lipstick on the pig. may not be politically correct, but, uh, but green lipstick on the pig is what we're doing in today's term, which is circular economy version one. And what does that mean? When we look at circular economy, we look at the features in that operating model and, and look at recycling, waste, right to repair, extending product life, product stewardship. All these things are actually features of an operating system that unfortunately we are slapping a badge of circular economy on those features as we're trying to solve them, but they're not true circular economy. And true circular economy needs to be what I believe under the circular sort of operating thinking is, is version two, version two of that, which is where we eliminate recycling, right to repair, extended product life out of the equation to really shift towards a new operating model where we actually go after dealing with the problem and shifting away from being a theoretical thing that we have a hard time dealing with. Yeah, we in Australia, I believe if I rank it one out of 10 right now and where we're at, I reckon we're at about two. Okay, so that says a lot. Let me ask you this. You're very much involved in, in the startup space, I guess. You're certainly interested in, in entrepreneurialism. Tell me if I'm wrong, but to price those externalities that we talked about in the consumer goods that get produced, that's going to be heavily reliant on more regulation of markets, right, to change corporate behaviours. So how does that kind of square with what you're trying to do here? So, yes, in all markets sort of trying to move forward and, and progress in inverted commas, whatever that means, there are sticks and carrots, right? So if we look at the Europeans who are leading the pack on this, they are heavily regulatory compliance driven in their approach. I actually went over to Europe, as you did last year, and I did a five-week personal circularity study tour and visited about half a dozen cities and met with a lot of circularity practitioners and financiers and, and government officials and, and business entrepreneurs. And what I got to experience was, it's all different but the same. And what do I mean by that? The reality is being a heavily sort of, um, you know, I'm not, not saying regulation is a bad thing, but um, being leading towards into regulation around trying to drive this change. A lot of people are waiting for uh, compliance to come through around carbon pricing and carbon sort of trading and you're reimagining sort of trade between countries as they are doing right now. Legislation is pushing really hard to make that happen in, in Europe. We are... At the beginning of a new frontier in Australia with some changes now with federal and sort of state government sort of um, pushing towards that approach. But I do at the same time believe that most organisations, businesses and governments should not be waiting for regulation. We need to also be at the forefront of driving change proactively with new businesses and new ideas and new operating approaches. The battle that is about to happen is what I call the transformers versus the scale-up. So there will be existing large, slow-moving organisations that will be forced to transform. And I remember reading a book over 20 years ago on a, on a Greek island, uh, James, which was uh, Lou Gerstner's IBM's uh, back in the day when he was IBM CEO. And uh, I was sitting on a Greek island on a, on a lovely holiday and, and you know, he'd be saying, what am I doing reading a business book on a, on a Greek island? But uh, it was what I enjoyed doing. And uh, he talked about people respect what's inspected of them after doing an 18-month sort of uh, global tour understanding what was going on with IBM before it nearly went bankrupt, right, back in the day. And uh, I think the reality comes about 
in the same light here where unfortunately large organizations are bound and steered by what they are inspected of in terms of uh, what they do. And uh, that needs to radically change or shift towards accelerating sort of a shift to circularity faster. And we seem to leading towards larger organizations, even mid-market companies waiting for government to act or, or at least provide some guidance. And uh, with my entrepreneurial spirit and sort of get-go attitude, it's very much around bringing to life the next new organizations that are actually going to build a new operating model that doesn't wait for regulation and compliance to make it happen and just do good. It's what I call being responsible 100%. So it's kind of interesting. A lot of this does fundamentally, you've just described, rely on kind of top-down regulation to punch these things through. But the circular economy or the circular movement, it's really a grassroots movement. So like there is a consumer expectation that has come from the grassroots that's kind of driving governments even looking at this kind of regulatory stuff. It's an interesting setup, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, the assumption is sort of it's, it's become mainstream, if that's what you're suggesting. I don't think it's mainstream at all. There is a big growing segment of the consumer market, which, which are known as conscious consumers, right, really wanting to do the right thing and, and get on with things. And, and the solutions that we're taking to them at the moment are still half-baked. We're not delivering products as a service where the brands are responsible. We seem to uh, expect consumers and citizens and governments to become responsible for all the, the stuff that product companies or brands aren't doing that should be doing, right? So, I mean, a great area that we're leading into is, you know, clearly a business model around resale right now is starting to really flourish again. And, you know, as it was in the past, back in the day, you could you could rent stuff through radio rentals and all these other things, but it very much aligned to sort of low-income, affordable, financially stressed homes and households. But now it's become sort of this strong positive movement around Zycos and just doing good, right? So I think if there's a growing mainstream push, I'd love it to be more and more. Unfortunately, people live their busy lives every day and they have to deal with what they have to do. And uh, if the products that and experiences that they utilize and use and consume are sustainable and circular in nature, that's a bonus. I mean, there's a term for that, which is called greenium. 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 So it's a premium on being green, right? The other aspect of that is sort of price. In order for us to be doing circular, sustainable stuff at the moment, it's a little bit more expensive because of the, the infrastructure that we don't have available at the moment to, to enable that. Yeah, look, I guess I wouldn't say that uh, the conversation is mainstream, but certainly as a grassroots, at that bottom end, there has been a movement to try and push the discussion the way it has. So you're all about the commercials, which is good. So commercial models for the circular economy, who's going to make money and how? And I wonder, can you touch on kind of circularity by design? What are we talking about there? Yeah, it's such a big topic. So circularity by design. In my quest towards, uh, you know, shifting towards sort of this circular frontier, I've had um, so a bit of a backstory on me, James. I, I you know, prior, in my teenage years, which are what my two boys are at the moment, um, in their late teens, I wanted to be an industrial designer or an architect as a, as a teenager. And um, I fluffed around too much in my last year at school and uh, got into doing computing, which was probably a blessing in disguise in the last sort of 30 years. And uh, we're now trying to bring those two worlds together. And so in, in that process, it's very much have been speaking with a lot of industrial designers around the world that have this sort of natural intent to want to do good and actually go circular and apply circularity principles to how they design and, and take products to market. And what they realize after talking with us and in general around when we sort of unpack the challenges around circularity is that what they do is create waste in the world every day because of the inefficiencies and the challenges in the, in the way that we have our infrastructure available to them to even produce great circular products. And so the commercial reality is that 
there is a lot of intent out there at the moment and desires and policies and so forth to go after and executing great commercial models. And the ones that stack up right now are the ones that sit around, as I mentioned before, circular economy version one thinking or execution, which really sits at the features of the operating model around recycling and you know shareability and reusability and the aggregation of recycling as a capability for organizations to take on and actually sort of become responsible, purposeful executors around extending the life of our existing products that we have in market, right? So in terms of Australia right now, there are several and many responsible purpose-driven organizations that are trying to go out there as startups building out around you know green products marketplaces. So you know where we have strengths is in digitization and SaaS, as we know. We have strengths in building uh, e-learning sort of platforms and we have strengths in building digital marketplaces and the like. And so the natural tendency for us in our startup ecosystem is to sort of shift towards building those types of startups in Australia that are do really well in and heaps of experience in dealing with bits and uh, where we have difficulties in actually building startups that actually deal with hardware and, and atoms, which is very complex and very long and, and time-consuming and need to bring in multidisciplinary organizations and capabilities to actually even get to product market fit, right? So having said that, there are many, many great examples of, of startups that are going up to deep hard tech challenges in circularity. You know, there's GoTerra out of Canberra that's kicking it out of the park. There's BlockTechs up in Brisbane. There's some Sarah. There's, you know, there's, there's many I could, you know, talk about. But having said that, they are having difficult challenges raising next stage capital because we're dealing with hard, complex problems and they all seem to gravitate to one or two different venture organizations to support them and we need more of that. So. Okay, you're listening to the Commercial Disco. I'm talking to Nick Gonios, the founder of Circulus and a, uh, I guess a very active participant in the startup community in Australia. Look, I guess you partly answered this next question, but just have a think on this. I mean, Australia is a massive commodities exporter. We import all our consumer goods, if not all. So what are the opportunities for Australia as a market shaper in this space? So what can Australia, a little old Australia, what can we be doing to kind of shape our little bit of the world in terms of circular economy? So, look, we have an abundance of resources. We're a big continent, 26 million people in a bunch of cities across the country. In some ways, a lot of us see it as a you know weakness. In my circular view, I see it as a major strength that we should tap into. And, uh, you know, the last 30 years of shifting away from and sort of our declining manufacturing sector has, um, has eliminated a lot of those hard skills that we require going forward, but it's an opportunity to reset, right? So at the core of circularity is very much around extending the life and reuse of materials and not to continue producing more products per se, but extending the life of those materials and reuse and reform them and remake them into better version products that we continue to use going forward, right? So at a macro level, one important stat that always goes around my head, James, is looking at the things at a, at a macro perspective from a global point of view. If we look at consumer spending globally, annually, every year, it's $50 trillion US. $50 trillion US goes into supporting consumer spending globally, right? Now, when you break that up, there are a dozen industries that support that consumer, that highly over-consuming sort of nature that we have, right? We won't go into that detail because that's like hours of conversation. But what supports that is, you know, the shipping sector, the manufacturing sector, the mining sector, all these sectors that support 
I mean, in my view, not just consumption, but overconsumption, right? And because of that, we are sort of a great nation that supports that current industrial construct of overconsumption. But at the same time, I believe we have an amazingly strong and world-leading cohort of smart, talented, go-getting people that can reimagine how we can build these new operating models so we can actually start to look at shrinking the manufacturing and production and recycling capability to a smaller footprint. We can actually enable ourselves to start to do what we call in the sector closed-loop systems building and servicing in local cities around the world to create good, meaningful jobs, which is what we unfortunately in the Western world and the world in general are missing right now, right? So it goes at the heart of moving and shifting away from centralized global systems to now starting to rebuild new operating models into our local cities and uh, economies, right? So with that in mind, because we are, <laughs> and maybe politically correct and say, we are in the arse end of the world when it comes to business, uh, this is a strength of ours right now, in my view, as we need to start to rebuild our economies in local cities and countries again, right? So we have to shift to sovereign capabilities. We have to shift towards rebuilding and for our own purposes and needs and not to continue to produce products for the sake of export and production globally, right? So it's a very big transformational shift that needs to happen. And I believe our raw materials and our virgin materials will actually have to compete with us as we start to consider what we do with, with our products that we continue to build and, and service our economy. Having said that, there are 8 billion people around the world. There's 26 million of us, so uh, they'll probably continue wanting to use more of our materials and won't see the uh, mining sector or resources sector go away, which raises another big point, James, which is as we're shifting to electrification, I don't know if you know this as a fact, but you know, shifting to EVs, we're going to need four times the amount of copper that we do in an existing vehicle, right? So the shift to electrification and decarbonisation is going to have more dependency on countries like Australia. Yeah, we're certainly at an interesting point in time right now in terms of this giant reset going on in terms of supply chains and how we think on these things. I'm going to start winding up, Nick Guineos. I did want to ask you, though, just to, to comment, and you sort of have touched on this, but a LinkedIn post that you you did recently, you said, many people speaking circular economy believe solving for circularity starts with design, but that's too easy. We need circular infrastructure and finance to create the new rails for a post-industrial world. So, I mean, you have touched on it. I'm interested in the finance. How does the financing have to change? Okay. So, as I do speak to and, and connect with many industrial designers and material scientists around the world right now, I'm also speaking with a lot of existing product um, manufacturers, owners and operators locally and internationally. And one of the challenges they are facing is that, especially in Australia, amazingly, they have difficulty getting transition capital to shift to circular operating models, right? So there's a lot of intent out there, but our existing banking sector and our existing finance sector does not enable an easy sort of transition pathway. And therefore, basically meaning the products aren't there from a financial point of view to enable existing mid-market manufacturing companies, which there are in Australia, we've got 75,000 product manufacturers, 92% of them are less than 20 employees. So we're still, it's still in the grand scheme of things, unfortunately, a cottage industry, we'll have fabricators and, and, uh, and metal workers and the like. And there's about three, three and a half thousand that, that operate with about up to 200 employees. Now, a lot of those actually are either going to retire, they need to sell and do something, but a third of them to 50% want to transition to circular operating models and the future of doing good. And the finance sector hasn't solved that problem well at all in helping them transition, unless they're collateralizing some assets that they have being 
properties, cars, and boats, who knows? But we can't continue operating like that. So, you know, the Europeans have actually done an amazing job in innovating in this space and aligning circular finance with circular transition. There are several banks in Europe that are doing really well. And uh, some of our top four banks in Australia have established sustainable financing sort of practices and groups, which is great to see. But they are heavily leaning towards top end of town organizations, uh, top, you know, ASX few hundred, right, so to speak. And uh, what we need to do is start to enable our mid-market and middle part of our economy to, to start to shift to, to uh, circularity with new financing solutions. And you know, things like green bonds, as an example, is one instrument, James, that needs to be accelerated. It's been used locally in Australia in a few different large projects and builders and developers, but we need to make it available and you know, to use the word democratize it and make it more available at scale. And sustainable finance is trying to do that. There's a massive growth in green bonds, as an example. And what I think we need to be selling equity to enable that happen, so to speak. So. All right, Nick Cornios, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining the Commercial Disco. We didn't get to a whole range of issues around circular economy, but I know we'll be speaking again. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, James, and it was always a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.